Good morning. Welcome to Axios Today. We've made it to Wednesday. It's May 11th. I'm Nyla Boodoo. Here's what we're watching today. Improving location accuracy on wireless 911 calls. Plus, a new record for gas prices. But first, today's one big thing. Why millions of Americans could soon lose health care coverage. As many as 14 million Americans on Medicaid could lose their health coverage when the pandemic public health emergency expires. The declaration and the temporary reforms it allowed for are set to end on July 15th if the Biden administration doesn't extend them. This could result in a historic jump in the number of uninsured Americans. Here to explain is Adriel Bettelheim, senior healthcare editor at Axios. Hi, Adriel. Hi, nice to be with you. Adriel, what were the changes to Medicaid during the pandemic that allowed more people to have coverage? Well, this is the uh, safety net program, of course, for the indigent, and it has become the biggest source of health care, especially since Obamacare made it easier for states to expand their programs. Pretty early in the pandemic, Congress increased the share of federal Medicaid spending of states promised continuous coverage, meaning they promised not to kick enrollees off the program rolls. And that would stop the program's usual churn, and it would avoid millions of people becoming uninsured right as COVID was peaking. And so now, do we know how many million Americans could lose coverage if the pandemic public health emergency expires on July 15th? Right. It's all tied to the state of the emergency. Uh, The Kaiser Family Foundation took a stab at modeling this. Each state takes different approaches, so there's quite a difference in in estimates. But they're saying between 5.3 million and 14.2 million people could drop off the program rolls during this redetermination because their incomes no longer hit the eligibility requirements. Now, some of those folks may have found work and and gotten job-based health coverage for themselves, maybe for their families. But the biggest losses, Kaiser says, would fall on adults who gained coverage through the Affordable Care Act's Medicaid expansion, parents who qualify for Medicaid but aren't disabled, uh, as well as kids. So, Adriel, it's up to the Biden administration to decide whether or not the pandemic public health emergency continues. Do we have a sense of where the administration is on this? All signs are pointing to them letting the emergency expire July 15th. And that there's a lot of health policy beyond just Medicaid attached to that. But it's a part of this is a political decision. This administration came into power saying that they were going to take control of the pandemic, get shots in people's arms, get disease counts down. And they've accomplished some of that. But when you continue to have the nation in crisis mode, it's kind of like an admission that you haven't gotten the job done. So I think it is in their political interest to sort of declare this over, move on to other things that fight inflation. But there are some good practical public health reasons, perhaps for letting it extend through the summer into the fall, especially if they see the possibility of more COVID waves on the horizon. So it's that classic struggle between a political decision and some pragmatic public health decisions. Axios' senior healthcare editor, Adriel Bettelheim. Thanks, Adriel. Thanks very much. In a moment, we're back with one cell carrier's fix to delayed 911 responses. Welcome back to Axios Today. I'm Nyla Boodoo. 
When you call 911 from a wireless phone, it doesn't always connect you to the nearest dispatch center. That can mean delays in life-or-death situations. AT&T announced yesterday that it's launching a solution to that problem. Access's Margaret Harding-McGill has the exclusive, but says there are plenty of other tech problems with our 911 systems that also need addressing. Hey, Margaret. Hey, thank you for having me. Margaret, first, exactly what is AT&T rolling out? AT&T has a new service that's going to route the 911 calls from wireless customers to the closest dispatch center, which I'm sure you're thinking like, wait, doesn't that already happen? Actually, it doesn't. Typically, calls from wireless phones are routed based on the closest cell phone tower. So if you're in Washington, D.C., the closest cell phone tower to you might actually be in Northern Virginia, which means your 911 call would get routed to a Northern Virginia, like an Arlington police or fire response, and then they would have to then transfer your call back to D.C., and that can be a delay. So the idea is instead of going based on the closest cell tower, AT&T will be able to say, okay, you're in D.C., you need to go to the D.C. 911 center and route you directly there. From a non-technological standpoint, it seems logical that this would have happened already. Why hasn't it, though? Apparently, it has been historically faster for call routing to rely on the location of the cell tower rather than spending time pinpointing the caller's exact location before you relay that call to a 911 center. But now technology has gotten to the point where they can do that routing so fast that it makes sense to do that on the front end rather than having calls transfer from 911 center to 911 center. Do we know how much of a delay this issue was causing if your 911 call was getting bounced to a couple places? So the FCC took a look at this issue back in 2018 and noted that 911 misroutes are not occasional and, in fact, occur frequently and on occasion with deadly consequences. And they pointed to a report out of California which found that 3.7 million calls to 911 were transferred from one 911 center to another in the state out of a total volume of 28 million calls. So just to be clear, this has had deadly consequences. It has, unfortunately. The FCC noted in its report a woman who drowned after accidentally driving off the road in in Georgia. She was able to call 911, but that call was picked up by a cell tower in another county. There were minutes that were lost while the dispatchers were trying to figure out which county she was located in, and she, she did die. There was also another case of a woman who was fatally shot in Florida, and the call was routed to another 911 center in Florida and had to be transferred, and she also died. Margaret, you've also written about next-generation 911 centers that are trying to close some other technology gaps in our emergency systems. What's happening with that? So next-generation 911 centers have the capability of accepting text messages, videos, phone calls, and sharing data more easily than their legacy counterparts. So about 3,000 of the 6,000 911 centers have the ability to to accept text. But if you talk to anyone in the emergency response community, they will say that the nation's 911 systems are hopelessly analog, that they're way behind the times. They look at all the information that you can get in your phone and are so frustrated that that information can't be used in an emergency. The danger is you run into a situation where you have digital have and have nots when it comes to an emergency response where the quality of your emergency response might be determined based on what county you're in and how advanced their capabilities are. Think of how much better the response might be in a medical situation if your smartwatch directly contacts 911 and is sharing uh, details of your well-being as opposed to 
having to rely on somebody else to send that information in. What is it going to take to have our 911 centers catch up to the technology that already exists? It's going to take a lot of money. Congress last year, as part of the Build Back Better Act, floated uh, $10 billion for upgrading the nation's 911 centers, but that funding was slashed and obviously Build Back Better did not advance. Margaret Harding McGill covers tech policy for Axios from Washington. Thanks, Margaret. Thank you. Three more stories we're following today. A new report shows deadly gun violence in the U.S. spiked during the pandemic's first year. The rate of firearm homicides jumped 35 percent between 2019 and 2020, according to the CDC. 2020 had the highest rate of homicides linked to guns since 1994. We've broken yet another record for gas prices. The average price in the U.S. per gallon is now $4.37, according to AAA, replacing the last record high on March 11th. But some important context. When you adjust for inflation, we were still paying about a dollar more per gallon in 2008. And Apple says it's discontinuing the iPod more than two decades after it was introduced. Blame smartphones for the demise of our once favorite technology. And just for old time's sake, remember this sound? That's it for us today. I'm Nyla Boodoo. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, and we'll see you back here tomorrow morning.